Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 62, uh, recorded here on April 30th, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. So as always, please do your own homework. Uh, We'll start with the market recap from last week and outlook for next week and then we'll get right into the bitcoin news got a lot of things to go over and then we'll finish up with a highlight on this week's substack post major stock indexes posted solid gains friday to end the week and the month on higher ground in part as earnings reports from several big tech companies including alphabet Microsoft and Meta platforms were received positively by investors. However, Amazon fell 4% Friday despite better-than-expected quarterly results after warning growth in its cloud computing services would slow further. The U.S. Employment Cost Index, the broadest measure of U.S. labor costs and the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, rose 1.2% in the first quarter after gaining 1.1% in the fourth quarter of 2022. The Dow Jones average gained 0.9% for the week and two and two and a half percent for the month of april while the s p 500 rose 0.9 percent for the week and one and a half percent for the month and the nasdaq added 1.3 percent for the week and ended the month nearly unchanged in the bond market on friday yields slipped following a sizable jump the previous day the 10-year yield fell 10 basis points to 3.43 percent while the more rate-sensitive two-year yield dropped six basis points to 4.03%. And actually, I was looking at a chart that somebody posted on Twitter, and uh, the market's actually been flat for... The S&P 500 is currently trading at the same level it was a year ago, and actually, if you go back two years, it's at the same level as well. So it's there's been a lot of volatility, but the market's over the you know this medium term has been relatively flat, which is... Kind of interesting. Looking ahead, the U.S. economy will be in the spotlight next week with the Federal Reserve's Policymaking Committee meeting on May 2nd and 3rd, and updates due out on construction spending, factory orders, jobless claims, and the headliner at the end of the week with the April jobs report. All the economic data is expected to lead to another volatile week for the Treasury yields. Jumping into the news, first articles from Yahoo Finance. This is from April 30th. Why everyone is keeping a close eye on Mt. Gox, U.S. government Bitcoin wallets. Bitcoiners are eyeing up crypto held by the feds. On Wednesday, the price of Bitcoin took a sharp nosedive, plunging 7% in an hour. It took most of the crypto market with it, too. The dip came shortly before blockchain analytics firm Arkham had said wallets linked to defunct crypto exchange Mt. Gox and the U.S. government had moved large amounts of Bitcoin. It turned out to be a false alarm as a result of a bug fix, Arkham said later in a statement, but it led some to believe that the dip in prices came because the government started dumping large amounts of Bitcoin into the market. But the fact remains that the government-owned Bitcoin and Mt. Gox coins are intriguing to investors. On Thursday, another blockchain analytics firm, Glassnode, said the American government and the Mt. Gox trustee hold 205,514 and 137,890 Bitcoins, respectively, over $10 billion in crypto, and advised investors to keep an eye on the funds. 
This is because when such large amounts of Bitcoin get transferred, it's market moving, according to experts. But first, why does the U.S. government hold Bitcoin and what's Mt. Gox? The Department of Justice last year seized more than $3 billion worth of Bitcoin affiliated with the darknet marketplace Silk Road and then sold a huge chunk of it and said they would plan to sell more. Mt. Gox, on the other hand, was a popular Bitcoin exchange that was forced to shut down eight years ago after a crippling hack. Once one of the biggest exchanges in the world, it closed in 2014 after losing 850,000 Bitcoins, today worth $24.9 billion in a massive exploit. Investors who lost their funds are still waiting to get it back from the, a trustee. Christoph Ono, a contributor at open source Bitcoin resource Bitcoin Design, told Decrypt that the intrigue is all centered around risk. He said, will the U.S. government hold on to those Bitcoin forever or sell them off? If so, will they do it in a manner that reduces impact on the market or just dump it in one go or auction them off? Who knows? The fascination with watching the wallets where Mt. Gox funds are being held is similar, he added. I believe Mt. Gox is somewhat similar in that there are various unknowns, Ono said. At some point, the coins will be released into the wild, but no one really knows when and how. While Glassnode lead analyst James Check said the big investors may be interested in government coins. Periodically, the U.S. government auctions off these coins, which institutions in particular often find quite attractive since they are in theory blessed and cleared by the U.S. government, he said. In the past, some institutions have fretted over the provenance of crypto assets when buying them and worried they could be unknowingly bought from bad actors. Whatever happens, investors are always keeping an eye on big hodlers known as whales, especially unorthodox ones like the U.S. government. Roughly $10 billion of Bitcoin is an immense amount for the market to absorb, Evan Kaloudis, the developer behind Zeus, a non-custodial lightning wallet, told Decrypt. I, for one, though, am excited for the government to offload them to the market to circulate to new holders. Uh, and I would have to agree. I think I talked about this last week. It's kind of silly for the government to sell the Bitcoin, but that's what they do with seized property. And, uh, you know, the Mt. Gox, I'm not exactly sure um, how that makes its way. You would think some of those coins should go back to the people that uh, had accounts with Mt. Gox. Um, and then they could decide whether or not they want to keep them or sell them. Um, but uh, I guess we'll we'll see. But uh, long story short, this you know, will cause perhaps some short-term market disruptions, but then, um, you know, the market will absorb the coins and, and uh, it doesn't really change the overall issuance schedule of Bitcoin or the uh, 21 million hard caps. So uh, as long as adoption continues to move forward, uh, dumping coins on the market while it causes a short-term decline in the Bitcoin price, I don't think it really affects it in the long run. Uh, this next article is also from Yahoo Finance. This is published on April 29th. Uh, and it says, if U.S. defaults on debt, Bitcoin could rise nearly 70%, says Standard Chartered Analyst. And uh, this is kind of interesting because this kind of brings into the play the concept of Bitcoin as a credit default swap on sovereign debt or sovereign currencies. So... Um, Moving into this, Bitcoin bulls have had a good year so far. If the U.S. defaults on its debt, it could get even better, at least in terms of their Bitcoin investment. 
That's according to Jeff Kendrick, Standard Charter's head of digital assets research. He told Insider this week that a U.S. default, which he called a low probability, high impact event, could cause Bitcoin to jump by about $20,000, an increase of nearly 70% from current levels. Bitcoin started the year uh, well at well below 17000 but is now hovering near 30000 That's still well off its all-time high of nearly 69000 in November 2021. And some investors who bought Bitcoin around then are no doubt still licking their wounds. Bitcoin, Kendrick predicted, would fare well, even if overall cryptocurrencies, which trade more like stocks, did not. So actually, the optimal trade would probably be long Bitcoin, short Ethereum. That sort of mix would probably be a good expression of this, Kendrick told Insider. On Monday, Kendrick said in a note, Bitcoin could reach 100,000 by the end of 2024 and the crypto winter was over. He added that Bitcoin also has benefited from its status as a branded safe haven, a perceived relative store of value and means of remittance. Bitcoin's price shot up earlier this year after Silicon Valley Bank collapsed and fears of a banking crisis mounted. Meanwhile, the debt ceiling crisis has intensified. On Wednesday, House Republicans passed legislation barely that would raise the government's debt ceiling in exchange for spending restrictions. In the weeks ahead, they'll try to reach a compromise with President Joe Biden that would allow the nation's debt to be lifted. If the U.S. did default on its debt this summer, the consequences would be severe for America and the world. Last month, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned lawmakers that a default on our debt would trigger an economic and financial catastrophe. Few think it will come to that. But even without a U.S. default, many Bitcoin bulls see good things ahead. ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood said in February that in five years, Bitcoin will hit roughly $670,000, something like that. And then by 2030, as we see more use cases and more of these insurance policies taken out against fiscal and policy regimes that are not healthy, we think it could pass $1 million. Bitcoin has plenty of critics and doubters, of course. Mark Mobius, the billionaire co-founder of Mobius Capital Partners, predicted that in December, Bitcoin would fall to $10,000 at some point this year. He said of Bitcoin, it's not an investment, it's a religion. Earlier this month, Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett reiterated his long-running skepticism, something like Bitcoin, it is a gambling token, and it doesn't have any intrinsic value, he told CNBC's Squawk Box, but that doesn't stop people from wanting to play the roulette wheel. Uh, and of course, you know, the folks that are deeply entrenched in the fiat system, like Mark Mobius, like Warren Buffett, like Charlie Munger, of course, are going to be very critical of Bitcoin because if Bitcoin succeeds, then, you know, many of the other investments that they're in would fail and there'd be, you know, a huge wealth transfer that would occur. Um, Kathy Woods sort of on the other side of the boat. She sees, um, you know, the future potential of it. Of course, she's been criticized as well for not being a great investor because she only invests in growth stocks and yada, yada. But, um, uh, Again, the summary on this is that uh, Bitcoin really is a, a hedge, and it's kind of interesting for me to see that mainstream media is kind of reporting on it uh, in this way, um, in particular using the words, um, you know, store value and, and uh, um, you know, uh, risk mitigation and, and, and all that sort of thing. So it's... Uh, I'll take that as a positive. 
Moving on, uh, next article we're going to go over is, uh, this is from Coindesk. This was published on April 28th, and this is an update. U.S. House will have a crypto bill in two months. Uh, U.S. House Financial Services Committee and House Agriculture Committee will put together, legis that's interesting, <laughs> will put together legislation to oversee the crypto sector in the next two months after holding joint public hearings starting May, said Representative Patrick McHenry, chair of the House Financial Services Committee. When asked whether such a bill could be signed by President Joe Biden in the next 12 months, McHenry told the crowd at Coindesk Consensus 2023 event, yes. The key lawmaker was quick to pro provide a rider that it's always a challenge to legislate something new into existence. What we plan to do over the next two months is report a deal out, McHenry said, adding that the bill will address both securities and commodities regimes and issues that are hard to fix on either side. Senator Cynthia Lummis, uh, the other panelist during the session, said she looked forward to coordinating the, those efforts with McHenry, adding that the House had a better chance than the Senate at getting legislation through earlier. She said that if the House moves first on crypto, it would improve our chances in the Senate. We've tried to keep partisan tinge off this subject. Lummis said this is a bipartisan subject we need to address before the 2024 election. The U.S. Congress has so far been unable to get comprehensive legislation on crypto passed despite a number of bills making Congress on Capitol Hill last year. But this month, Republicans on the House Financial Services Committee took a swing at finding bipartisanship support for a second effort at stablecoin legislation, though bipartisan support remains uncertain. Republicans introduced a discussion draft which may mark a new starting point for negotiations with Democrats. Lummis, who has been dubbed the Senate's crypto queen, has introduced the Bipartisan Responsible Financial Innovation Act aimed at creating a regulatory framework for the industry last year with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Lummis told the crowd at consensus that a new and approved version of the bill will be unveiled six to eight weeks. We are probably going to have a stronger section on national security. You will see a stronger cybercrime aspect to our bill, Lummis said. A bipartisan bill introduced in both the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives on Thursday calls for the federal government to study crypto use cases for illegal activity, including studying how terrorists and other criminals might use cryptocurrencies. Last week, McHenry's committee grilled U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler over his refusal to say whether Ether, the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap, was a security. Congress needs to provide sufficient guidance there, said Lemus. I anticipate we will still be using the Howey test in the most modern way expressed by U.S. courts. While the deadlock in Congress between Republicans and Democrats continues, lawmakers have been facing increasing pressure to legislate the industry after the meltdown of the FTX crypto exchange and the more recent collapse in crypto banking. McHenry also said that crypto's recent role in the U.S. banking crisis, which has left the industry's banking relationship strained is fair to call Operation Choke Point 2.0. We have to fix this problem. We have to provide certainty that you can bank in a safe and sound manner, he said. This is a great example of why Congress must legislate and provide clarity. Meanwhile, jurisdictions such as the European Union have approved the markets in crypto assets MICA law 
making it the first major jurisdiction in the world to introduce a comprehensive crypto law. The EU's agreement puts the block in the lead on Web3 technology, McHenry told Coindesk earlier. Several jurisdictions are ahead of us, Lemus said, measuring, mentioning MICA and other efforts. We are falling way behind. These countries are telling us to catch up. Regulators in Japan and the United Arab Emirates have also moved toward regulating the space, while Hong Kong and the UK are revisiting how they approach crypto. Uh, so we'll have to continue to see how this plays out. Um, you know, you always hear about funding of terrorism, funding of criminals and all that, when the reality is, is that, uh, you know, the dollars used way more than uh, cryptocurrency in uh, illegal activities. And it's, it's not necessarily any easier to use Bitcoin, let's say, because it's, you know, an open ledger, you can see where the coins are, and that's actually how they're able to um, claw back uh, Bitcoin from criminals uh, as long as they can, you know, those criminals are stupid enough to store their private keys uh, in a place where the government can find them. So, um, uh, you know, you're going to hear more about this. Uh, bipartisan support to me usually means they're both on the side of limiting uh, freedom. So we'll just have to see how this, uh, how this plays out. Keep a close watchful eye on it and um, hopefully it's not too terrible when they do get it cooked of course uh, then the senate has to do it and then you know there's going to be wrangling back and forth so who knows what the final bill will be but uh, sounds like we'll see something in a year next article is from bitcoin.com this is uh, an update on de-dollarization that we've been talking about a lot this one here uh, was just updated recently today, and it's entitled Zimbabwe's De-Dollarization, Central Bank to Issue Gold-Backed Digital Currency in Early May. Now, it's always interesting to talk about gold-backed currencies because, again, while it sounds good, um, the problem with gold-backed currencies, and we had this problem with the dollar um, prior to 1971, the dollar was backed by gold, and then in 1971, Richard Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard, uh, meaning that the dollar before that could be redeemable for actual gold, uh, and, uh, and, um, uh, after 1971, you can no longer do that, which made it, you know, free floating, uh, fiat currency, no, no longer backed. And so this is the problem with gold backed is that you can, um, change the rules anytime you want. Uh, so it's, you know, really a lot of counterparty risk with respect to the central bank. Uh, so again, sounds good and it's probably good for a while until they, uh, are tempted to want to print money and then, um, they can either, uh, well, the easiest thing to do is just come off the gold standard and, and go back to fiat. So. Uh, so anyway, jumping into the article, according to the Zimbabwean Central Bank, it plans to start issuing the recently mooted gold-backed digital currency on May 8th. The digital currency, which will be backed by the gold held at the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe, is expected to complement the physical gold coins that went into circulation on July 2022. The announcement of the digital currency's issuance date came just a few days after the Central Bank Governor, John Mangudia, 
was quoted revealing the RBZ's intention to fight local currency depreciation with gold-backed digital currency. Also, as reported by Bitcoin.com News, Zimbabwe Central Bank hopes to curb the local demand for the greenback with the soon-to-be-launched digital currency. However, in a statement issued on April 28, the RBZ governor revealed that the issuance of the gold-backed digital tokens is meant to expand the value-preserving instruments available in the economy. The gold-backed tokens are also in, intended to enhance divisibility of the investment instruments and widen their access and usage by the public. As per the statement, the issuance of the digital currency will be split into two phases. The first phase will see the digital tokens being issued for investment purposes with a vesting period of 180 days. According to the RBZ, the gold-backed tokens will be redeemed in the same way as physical gold coins are redeemed. Prospective buyers can acquire digital tokens using local or foreign currency, the statement added. The RBZ also suggested that current holders of the Mosi Oa Tunya gold coins will be able to acquire the digital coins using the local banking system. Under the second phase, residents with digital tokens held in e-wallets or cards will be able to use such funds to settle transactions. The gold-backed digital tokens held in either e-gold wallets or e-gold cards will be tradable and capable of facilitating person-to-person -person and person-to-business transactions and settlements. It therefore means that the gold-backed digital tokens would be used both as a means of payment and as a store of value, the RBZ said in the statement. Meanwhile, Fadzai Mahir, the spokesperson of Zimbabwe's main opposition party, warned in a tweet that RBZ's gold-backed digital currency initiative could be illegal. Um, well, if I was there, I probably wouldn't want to do, do that, and especially if I had a physical gold coin in my possession. Why would I want to give that up for a digital uh, gold-backed coin that then I have to trust that the central you know, bank isn't going to debase? Um, that's the problem. You have to trust the central bank and you know, this could just be a scheme to vacuum up uh, paper currency, physical gold, uh, other things of value into this digital currency, uh, which then, you know, is effectively a central bank digital currency. So then once it's being used for transactions, then they kind of can monitor what you're buying, you know, social credit scores, you know, the whole thing. So this could just be like a Trojan horse, you know. So you have to be really skeptical when you see this kind of stuff, especially gold-backed, because, again, they can change the rules at any time they want. Okay, next article, also from Bitcoin.com. Uh, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, I like Bitcoin for the same reason the Chinese government doesn't like Bitcoin. Uh, and this was uh, just updated today. United States Senator Ted Cruz has said he is incredibly bullish on Bitcoin and he still believes the insight that led to its creation is still extraordinary. In his remarks at an event organized by the Bitcoin Policy Institute, Cruz insisted Bitcoin is the alpha in the cryptosphere because it came first and is the most dominant one. The remarks by Cruz, a Republican from Texas, came at a time when the Biden administration has upped the ante in its fight against the crypto industry, as has been reported by Bitcoin.com News since the start of 2023. U.S. officials and agencies have targeted crypto entities as part of so-called Operation Choke Point 2.0, 
The Securities and Exchange Commission charges have ranged from illegally selling securities to American citizens to promoting these without the requisite permissions. In response to the crackdown, which is being spearheaded by the SEC, Republican senators, including Cruz, have slammed the regulatory body's chairperson, Gary Gensler. Others, like the pro-crypto U.S. Senator Tom Emmer, claim that Gensler's actions are pushing innovation into the hands of a communist country. Senator Cynthia Lummis, a Bitcoin advocate and investor, also voiced her displeasure with the SEC's crypto regulation approach. Meanwhile, in his address at the Bitcoin Policy Institute event, Cruz explained why he and many others are attracted to Bitcoin. One of the attractions to Bitcoin is as a hedge against inflation, and particularly when you have irresponsible politicians in Washington that spend money like drunken sailors, Cruz said. Cruz added that the printing of trillions of dollars over the past few years has led to what he described as significant inflation. According to Cruz, since Bitcoin is less susceptible to government control, it can therefore act as an important check against wasting government spending. The Texas senator also claimed that he likes Bitcoin for the same reason that the Chinese communist government doesn't like Bitcoin. So anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting uh, take and uh, certainly um, makes a lot of sense coming from Ted Cruz. Now he could just be LARPing and wanting to you know, use that to get reelected or whatever, as you know many of these politicians do. But it's good to have um, politicians that are knowledgeable about Bitcoin, understand it, um, you know, so that they can, you know, they're, they're going to make laws. So you want them to make them um, with a complete uh, understanding of, of, uh, of Bitcoin. All right, moving along. Uh, next, we have, uh, this is also from Bitcoin.com. This was updated today, and this article is entitled, PayPal Upgrades Crypto Services to 60 Million Venmo Users Allowing Transfers to External Wallets and Exchanges. Now, this is a big deal, because originally when uh, Venmo rolled out their um, cryptocurrency uh, uh, platform, you can only buy and sell on their platform and you couldn't actually move the coins, which made it somewhat useless because then your coins are basically stuck on the exchange, so to speak. And so if anything happened to Venmo, um, your coins are gone. Um, so uh, they had talked about doing this um, a while ago, I think maybe even in the Bitcoin conference uh, last year, um, they might've announced this. Um, so now it looks like it's gonna happen. But again, this is pretty big news. So jumping into the article on April 28th, the payment services company PayPal announced that Venmo's 60 million customers can now enjoy cryptocurrency transfers. The rollout follows PayPal's crypto transfer launch last summer after initially introducing the product without the ability to transfer to external accounts. Similarly, up until now, Venmo only allowed its customers to buy, hold, and sell after integrating crypto in 2021. Crypto transfers will be rolling out to Venmo customers over the coming weeks starting in May 2023, PayPal said on Friday. In a bid to gather more insights into the behavior of its clientele, PayPal conducted a survey of Venmo customers. The findings revealed that a considerable number of individuals are now flocking to Venmo to better manage their cryptocurrency. More than half of Venmo's crypto customers elected to use the firm's crypto services. 74% of Venmo's crypto customers opted to leave their investments in their Venmo accounts. 
During the first quarter of 2023, almost 50% of Venmo customers who already possessed cryptocurrency balances chose to expand their portfolios by acquiring additional digital assets through Venmo. PayPal issued guidelines detailing the process of transferring crypto along with a blog post on the topic. The company emphasized that crypto transfers cannot be undone or reversed and urged customers to verify the recipient's details by carefully inspecting the destination address. Moreover, Venmo cardholders can take advantage of incentives that offer cash back in the form of crypto assets and receive price alerts about fluctuations in crypto values. Uh, so again, I'm not too excited about all the other crypto on there, but uh, as far as the Bitcoin goes, that's great. You can buy Bitcoin on, on PayPal and you can send it to your uh, hardware wallet, cold storage, uh, whatever you have set up. So um, works for me. Moving on, uh, next article, we have uh, Crypto News. Um, this one was uh, just posted today. And this is entitled Lightning Labs Unveils Upgrade to Boost Bitcoin Accessibility for Billions of People. Here's how it works. Bitcoin infrastructure firm Lightning Labs has released an update to LITD, its node management tool, in order to make it easier for people to use the Lightning Network. The new update adds automated fee management, custodial accounts, finer grained LNC permissions, and the pool order board to LITD Lightning Labs head of product growth, Michael Levan, said in a recent blog post. With the latest, this is a direct quote, with this latest release, we're introducing a handful of new features like automatic channel fee management and terminal custodial off-chain accounts, more control over connection permissions for LNC, and an order board for a simpler way to interact with pool. Lightning Labs is a major developer of Bitcoin's Lightning Network, a Layer 2 payment protocol layered on top of Bitcoin intended to enable fast transactions. The Lightning Network requires users to run a Lightning node to send and receive payments on the network non-custodially. However, this is not a very straightforward process for users who aren't tech savvy. This is where LITD comes into play. The tool aims to abstract certain features of node management to simplify Lightning usage, removing the need for users to manage them directly to make the experience easier. LightSpark is a Bitcoin tech infrastructure company led by former PayPal president and entrepreneur David Marcus, who co-created Diem, a cryptocurrency proposed by Meta that failed to take flight after arousing the suspicions of U.S. regulators. The recent update includes a new version of Lightning Terminal, the web-based UI for node and liquidity management, which now supports automated channel fee management. This means that the user operating the Lightning node no longer has to manually adjust the fees. Instead, fees will change dynamically based on how many payments each channel is routing each week. The update also introduces accounts, which enables several users to share a single Lightning node, eliminating the need to deal with the complexity of liquidity or node management. Within LITD, the user account is a virtual construct that provides restricted access to an existing LND node, Levin said. And an account has a virtual off-chain only balance in Satoshi's and an optional expiration. He added that the upgrade to LITD was intended to increase node management automation and provide better developer tooling. Levan also noted that the changes would make it easier to onboard new users to the network regardless of their experience level. And this is super important because, uh, like, I'll be honest, I don't run a Lightning node and I'd like to, but I'm 
it's a little bit, I have a Bitcoin node that I run, which was super easy. It took forever to load, obviously, uh, you know, cause it's just a lot of data, but once it's loaded, it just updates, you know, regularly. And, um, so I have that, but I haven't been able to, or wanted to set up a lightning node just cause it's just been a little bit harder for me. So, um, as soon as it's easier to set up, I'll be all over it. Liquidity is one of the significant UX hurdles that users face. They must first ensure a lightning channel is open to them to receive funds, which can be complicated. And there's a further quote here. This alpha feature is another step towards automating node and liquidity management in addition to existing auto loop feature, an automated option for using loop to manage liquidity. Earlier this month, LightSpark unveiled a platform for the Lightning Network aimed at onboarding businesses to the network. In an announcement on Twitter, the company called the new LightSpark platform the first enterprise-grade entry point to the Lightning Network. So again, uh, and you know, running a Lightning node, you can make money because you you earn small transaction fees for uh, transactions that you route through. It's not a lot of money, but it can add up with volume. So there, that's the incentive for setting up a Lightning node. But you do have to spend some money on on a server and. You also have to, to put some Bitcoin um, out there to open up the channel, um, you know, so there's there's that. Um, but again, um, if they can bring down the technical difficulty uh, to a level where, you know, all you have to do is kind of plug and play, um, that's going to be huge, I think, for, um, for a lot of people and will definitely help, uh, you know, expand adoption of, of Lightning. And the last uh, article is really just an update. Um, I've been following First Republic uh, last week. You know, their stock price was down 99% or something by the close of the after hours. Uh, and so it looks like they're probably going to be taken over by the uh, government or sold, you know, quote unquote, sold. <laughs> Usually what the, the way that works is the, the banks that buy get the good stuff and the government keeps the bad stuff and, you know, the taxpayers will just absorb the, the losses eventually. Uh, anyway, First Republic auction underway with deal expected by Sunday. So, uh, you know, I just checked uh, as of the recording here, there isn't any new news other than uh, what Reuters just reported here. Uh, which says U.S. regulators are trying to clinch a sale of First Republic Bank over the weekend with roughly half a dozen banks bidding. Sources said on Saturday and was likely to be a third major U.S. bank to fail in two months. Citizens Financial Group, PNC Financial Services Group, and J.P. Morgan are among bidders vying for First Republic in an auction process being run by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, according to sources familiar with the matter. U.S. Bancorp was also among banks the FDIC had asked to submit a bid, according to Bloomberg. So that's the latest on First Republic Bank. We'll see what comes out of that. But again, you know, banking failures are just another uh, reason why we uh, Bitcoin. Uh, you don't have to worry about Bitcoin failing. It's just going to be there. It's going to run. Every 10 minutes or so, another block is going to get written and there's no counterparty risk and there's none of this uh, complexity that uh, that um, exists in the banking system with them having to, you know, manage short-term liabilities and long-term assets. 
And the funny thing about these bank failures is that they're actually caused by the Federal Reserve's policies. Um, they first encouraged them to, they lowered rates, which brought a lot of money into the banks. Banks had to do something with the money, so they loaned it out, and then that which they didn't loan out, they bought long-term government safe government assets. Then the Federal Reserve raises short-term rates, and then they get a, you know a short a double whammy because number one, their long-term portfolio value drops significantly. Uh, these the banks, and then um, depositors. Um, move their money to money market funds and other things where they can earn a higher yield because the banks are only paying, I don't know, 0 0.01, 0 0.02% or whatever on deposits. So the money starts emptying out of the banks. They don't have enough money. They have to bar either borrow from the Fed or they have to sell their securities. And once they start selling their securities, they recognize losses, they blow a hole in their balance sheet. They need to raise money. As soon as they say they have to raise money, they're in trouble because nobody wants to give them money and they collapse. And that's what we saw with the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank. And that's what we're seeing with First Republic. And this probably won't be the last. Everybody keeps trying to call the, in fact, I think Jim Cramer said, uh, this is probably the end of the banking crisis, famous last words. So uh, <clears throat> definitely don't want to keep more than the FDIC insured balance in any bank. And personally, I keep very little money in the banks and most of my money is actually in bitcoin um uh, or other investments but but again most of my savings if, if you will is in bitcoin because i just i just don't trust the banks and uh here's another reason and last just want to mention uh, i did post a, a new blog post and i'll by the way i'll put links to everything in the show notes to all the articles i went over uh, in this week's show and then uh, i also have a link to the uh my blog post for the week, which is entitled Managing the Transition to a Bitcoin Future. It all starts with education. And uh, and uh, uh, I'll just read the intro here. We are living in truly extraordinary times. While the fiat world continues its slow, inevitable decline, we see the signs everywhere, including inflation, bank failures, Insane financial market gyrations, ever-expanding sovereign debt, war, and fourth-turning level global social unrest. Meanwhile, Bitcoin rises as a better way to store and transmit value in a self-sovereign way and could potentially change a lot of the dysfunction caused by fiat currency. This dynamic leaves us in a difficult spot. Everything still runs on the fiat system. We earn our paycheck in fiat and our pay our bills in fiat. And yet we want to move to a Bitcoin system of sound money. So the question is how best to accomplish that while living in both worlds. I've thought a lot about this lately and put this post together to highlight some ideas on how you can manage the transition to a bright orange Bitcoin future. And I've enacted many of these uh, in my own life, as I described uh, in the post. And so I went through a top 11 list. So check it out if you're interested. The link will be in the show notes. And that wraps us up for this week. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack, as I mentioned, at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle there is at Nick Reichert. I'm also on Noster if you're on Noster. Um, uh, there's a uh, my public key is actually on Twitter, so if you, you can find it there. Uh, and uh, also, 
listen uh, to the podcast on Fountain. You can order some. You can earn some sats uh, while you listen, which is pretty cool. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye bye.